The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Hello and welcome everyone to Always Another Way podcast. I am Marina Sprocky Spriggs, and I am your host. I have a master's in professional counseling. I'm the Ippy award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life, and the author of Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. I write positive divorce advice for the HuffPost, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And today I'm going to talk about high-conflict divorce and parental alienation. And actually, just before I begin, this podcast speaks to outside-of-the-box thinkers and open-minded individuals. It's for people who hear the call of hope in always another way. And if you are set in your beliefs and very rigid in your views, then this probably isn't your cup of tea. But you should know that taste can change. And so back to the highly damaging behavior of high-conflict divorce and parental alienation. And just to tell you what both of those are, high-conflict divorce is one, it's a very contentious divorce where there's mudslinging, people talking bad about one another, using children as pawns, uh, usually goes on for months, years, cost a ton of money. And you probably know a lot of those people because a lot of them go from conflict to high conflict and few people have the friendly amicable divorce, conscious uncomplete, which I'm actually a fan of and, um, you know, make fun of what you want for children and your mental health and your well-being. It's much healthier to consciously uncouple and to take the high road than it is to have high conflict divorce. And parental alienation is kind of the pinnacle of high-conflict divorce. So parental alienation is the process and the result of psychological manipulation of a child into showing unwarranted fear, disrespect, or hostility towards a parent or other family members. And I have seen that live. There are, if you go to Google and search for scholarly articles on the effects of high-conflict high divorce, I don't know why I'm can't say that word today, but the effects of high-conflict divorce, you will find out that it is extremely damaging. You're setting your children up for PTSD, anxiety, depression, addiction, suicide, and the parents too. If you don't think that being under stress for a high-conflict divorce isn't going to start hurting your heart, chronic inflammation, autoimmune disease, backaches, headaches, well, it's the truth. So what I want to do today is talk to you about Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. So this book is a collection of stories from 
children who are adult children now of divorce that I've collected for over five years now. And when I'd written an article on the Huffington, it was then called the Huffington Post, the Huff Post, just kind of exemplifying, just giving certain scenarios of children that have gone through high conflict divorce and what they feel like today, I got a ridiculous outpouring of shares, people emailing me their stories, which enabled me to finish this book. And I'm just going to read one of them to you. This is straight from a person who sent this to me so that you can know, and my hope is in this book, you know, behavior change, and I'll talk about that a lot on this podcast, what incites behavior change, what makes people change behavior. And for me personally, and I just talked about it with Dave Lopez on our last podcast, is something personal has to happen to you. Um, Crisis, he said catharsis, confusion. Well, for a lot of people, crisis is usually the one that makes a change. And, um, you know, if you really, if you really want to hear what happens, you know, so back to that behavior change, if you can personally maybe see yourself in some of these things, and I know a lot of people, and myself included, I've been through life doing things and thinking that there's nothing wrong with that, or I haven't done anything wrong, and think that to the core of my belief, and only later see that actually what I was doing was wrong, it wasn't right, and it was damaging. So maybe you'll see yourself in this book, and you can always stop. You can always change. So there is no rule that says because you've done crappy bad things that you can't realize that, apologize, and part of a good apology is making things right, which is behavior change. So let me go ahead, and I am going to read you the story of Colleen. If Colleen could summarize her parents' divorce in one sentence, it would be this. It was more about vengeance than actually about gaining custody of their children. Her parents separated when she was four years old and finally divorced when she was six. She can't remember a time with them when there wasn't screaming or violent fighting. She has never, ever seen her parents show affection. At six years old, her nightmare of being used as a pawn between her parents was only beginning. Her father was busy trying to hide money in order to pay her mother less, and he had no problem discussing with Colleen the reason why they were divorcing. He would tell the six-year-old daily that her mother was just using him for money, along with a few other choice words that a six-year-old shouldn't be hearing. The next two years went by, only seeing her father intermittently. Finally, he had an opportunity to take her mother down. He maneuvered a little scam to get her kicked out of her house so the children would have to go live with him. And Colleen and her older brother were shuffled from one high-conflict home to another. They were about 11 and 13 when they began to act out. It was so much so that their father couldn't even handle them. And not one person thought to see that if living in a violent household with two high-conflict people divorcing might have anything to do with the kids acting out, so the kids got shuffled back to their mother's house. And at this time, her father decided to stop paying child support. He had strategically hidden his money specifically not to pay his ex-wife. He didn't even care that his children were in her care. They were forced to live in a not-so-great neighborhood where she and her brother were sent to very violent schools. Violent homes to violent schools. And at 12 and 14... Both kids were running away and getting in trouble with the law. 
At one point, Colleen ran away in the freezing cold of January in northern Michigan without a jacket. She even ran away barefoot because she had to run out before more broken glass would start flying around the house. Colleen would lock herself in the bathroom so she wouldn't have to hear her mother complain about how awful her father was. And more incidents of running away followed. Colleen finds herself in a group home at age 14, and the group home was only a step up from her own home. Now, Colleen's a very smart girl, and don't let the fact that she didn't pass her first year of high school fool you. It wasn't because she wasn't smart. It was because she was living inside a war zone. So she ends up back with her mother and her mother's drama. And then one day, her father stops by for a surprise visit. And the big surprise was that her father sat her down to show her some photos of his new family and the things that they had, like nice gifts and everything she never had. And he smugly sat there just to rub it in her face. He was still so hateful towards her mother that he couldn't see his child from her mother. So Colleen ran away again at 16, and the police officer that picked her up told her to just keep quiet, keep her head down, study hard, and get out of there as soon as she turns 18. So as soon as she heard that, she went into survival mode. She was quiet. She was shy. She was a good student. And for the next two years, that's exactly what Colleen did. But Colleen went further than that. Colleen made the dean's list at her community college and then went away for her bachelor's. And Colleen is way smarter than her parents think. And after college, there was a challenging economy, and then along came September 11th, 2001, and the economy slumped even further. Colleen had no choice but to move back in with her mother. She couldn't get a job. And she was working little jobs waiting tables, but it wasn't enough to get ahead. At this time, her brother had been in and out of the system since he was 13. He's now 24 and runs through cycles of violence and depression. This is what living in a war zone has done to her brother. The violence escalated with her brother into an altercation where she was fearful for her life. So she filed a restraining order and she's back in the war zone. So one day her father stops by and offers to take her back to New Jersey where he lives. He says the move will be good and they can work on their relationship. Hoping for a better relationship with her father and happy to leave the situation with her brother, Colleen packs her bags. But in a typical too-good-to-be-true fashion, her father turns on her as soon as they arrive in New Jersey. He just wanted to take Colleen away from her mother again. He tells Colleen she only has two weeks to stay. He doesn't try to bond with his daughter. He merely spends his time following her around and bullying her to drop the, drop the restraining order on her brother. Colleen decided once and for all to leave the abuse behind, and sadly she no longer talks to her brother. A once sweet boy tainted by violence, anger, and no love. He now walks around angry, angry, violent, and haunted by a past he did not ask to have, a time bomb waiting to explode. And she no longer talks to either of her parents, and now she can see them for who they really are, people who used and abused their children as pawns against one another, the nastiest kind of divorce. And what's just heartbreaking about reading that is what, you know, now that's probably one of the worst case scenarios, but even at a high level, 
children are helpless in a divorce. They did not ask to be born. They did not ask for any of this. And when two adults cannot control themselves enough, they're now adversely affecting other people. And you can just see that these were two children that because their parents for, you know, and I'm sure we could trace that back to their parents and their parents and their parents, but somebody has to get it together to not let children grow up like that. Completely ruined. Two kids emotionally left them without parents and just lucky because you don't know who is going to be resilient and who isn't. When you come from a home like that, your chances are slim. So there's more stories like that and they're never ending, which is really sad. But here's the good news. You can actually do something different, even if you have an ex that is super high conflict and you aren't. So first of all, if it is a violent situation, verbally, physically, emotionally, financially, sexually, take the proper steps to separate yourself, legal and otherwise. That is completely damaging to children and yourself. But beyond that, and a lot of them fall in this case of just nasty. And I've seen it with friends of mine, smart professional people. I mean, people that you think wouldn't act like this. And when divorce comes, the gloves come off. And it's, it's really, really sad. So here's what you can do. You don't have to take the low road. You can take the high road. So here are 10 tips to avoid talking badly about your ex, even if he or she deserves it. So, you know, there's a reason why I've used anonymous names in this book to tell the stories of divorces handled badly. Talking badly about your ex-spouse hurts your kids far more than it hurts your ex. And the urge to bash your ex is understandable and entirely human, but it does more harm than good. So here are 10 tips to get you to stop that bad habit. So number one is complain to the right person. People complain for all kinds of reasons, for example, to air out their grievances, express anger, or change a person's behavior. However, if you're talking about your ex-spouse's behavior to your kids, you're complaining to the wrong person. Your kids can't do anything to change the way your ex behaves. If it's results you're after, complain to the right person, your ex. If possible, ask politely for change you want, on-time pickup, you know, more visitation, etc. instead of focusing on what you don't want, late arrivals, non-return phone calls. Number two, look for the positive. It might be tough to find good things to say about your ex. After all, if your relationship was perfect, you'd still be married. However, there had to be something likable about him or her, I would think. You know, maybe think back to when you and two first started dating and remember what attracted you to them or if that's too tough, focus on the good things about relationship with your kids. It could be something as small as the fact that he remembered to send a birthday card for once or as big as taking the kids on a trip to Disneyland that they'll treasure forever. Make a list of five good things about your ex-spouse, and when you feel like talking badly about them, look at your list and say something nice instead. And I'm going to switch gender pronouns throughout this because both men and women are equal opportunity offenders. Number three is count to ten. When you find yourself caught up in the heat of the moment, such as when your ex makes an angry phone call to you or you've waited an hour for her to arrive and then she never shows up, take a deep breath, count to 10, and give yourself some time to think before you speak. 
Number four, reframe negative thoughts. Here's an easy assignment. F write down top, the top five things you dislike about your ex. Leave a space between each item you list. And now comes the hard part. Go back to each sentence and rewrite it as a positive statement. For example, if you wrote, I hate it when my ex-wife says she's going to buy our son something he really wants for Christmas like a bike and then never follows through, and I'm the one that has to deal with the disappointment. You might rewrite it like, I like it when my ex-wife wants to do nice things for our son. Even though she can't always afford to buy him everything he wants, she usually remembers to get him something, and it's nice that she can spend some time with him at Christmas. Replace anger with gratitude. That's number five. For every person in your life who's wronged you, there's someone else who's done something kind for you. Whether it's a former boss who gave you your first job, a teacher who inspired you, or a parent who's always there for you, try to focus on the people and things that you're grateful for. When you find yourself becoming angry towards your ex, try refocusing your attention somewhere else. Give that person a call or write them a letter and thank them for something they said or did. You'll feel a change in mood almost instantly and they'll feel better too. Number six, write a letter to your ex that you'll never mail. And if you simply can't dismiss the things you want to say, write a letter that expresses everything you want to say, make it as angry and as detailed as you want, get it all out, and then when you finish, do not show your children, obviously, this letter or anyone else. Just destroy it. And you might find it to be very therapeutic. Number seven, create a replacement behavior. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, so decide on a different behavior to try when you feel the urge to criticize your ex. For example, you might distract yourself by giving your kids a hug or a compliment. What you focus on is what becomes your life. So if all you're doing is spending, let's say you've got 30 minutes, you're spending time thinking about your ex, driving nails through your ex, telling your kids how bad your ex is, you've just wasted 30 minutes of your life. You could be enjoying time with your kids. So maybe think about it that way, a little counterproductive. If you want more time with your children, don't spend it bitching about your ex. Number eight, this ties in with that last one. Remember, the only person you can change is yourself. So life would be a lot easier if people we cared about always made responsible and considerate choices. Unfortunately, we're all human and none of us are perfect. And by now, you've probably learned that you can't change others' behaviors. People will ultimately do what they want to do, but there is one person whose behavior you can change. And instead of reacting angrily by criticizing your ex's skills in parenting or life in general, ask yourself how you could be a better parent and how you could live a more fulfilling life. And you're going to find that this exercise is going to benefit you greatly. Number nine, leave reminders in places where you'll see them every day. Affirm your decision to do what's best for your kids by posting reminders in places you'll see every day, like on your bathroom mirror or car steering wheel, because your kids will see them too. Now, don't write something specifically like, don't talk about what a jerk Mark is or what a bitch Catherine is. You know, even though it might make you chuckle, probably not good for your kids to see. Instead, a more general message like, be positive, don't complain, give the kids a hug today. And finally, enlist the help of your kids. If you're sure you want to change the way you talk about your ex and you feel comfortable making the commitment to your kids, consider enlisting their help. Tell them you want them to have a good relationship with their mother or father, and you've decided to give up complaining about the other parent. Be brief. Kids have short attention spans. 
and ask them to remind you of your promise if you slip back into your old ways. You might ask them to say a specific phrase like, Mom or Dad, you're doing that again. And when you hear that phrase, you'll know what you're doing and you'll be able to stop it. So I encourage you to take the high road and stay away from high conflict divorce and parental alienation. And if you are in that scenario, there is help. And in the link below this Facebook Live and this podcast, I am going to put a link to, I have a program to protect your kids from a toxic ex. So it is just $25 and you get a signed copy of the Nasty Divorce, or it's $29, not 25, sorry. Nasty Divorce book. And you can sign up online for it. So thank you very much. And I just want to let you know that there is always another way. Thank you.